Welcome everyone to episode 78 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Chief Ron Lindroth with the Central Valley Fire District in Belgrade, Montana. So on this episode, uh, we're going to talk to Chief Lindroth about a detached building that uh, he just built that is exclusive for decontamination. So after a fire, his firefighters can go there. They can clean their gear, clean their hose, clean their apparatus, and also clean themselves. So without further ado, let's just bring him in and, and he could talk about it. So here is Chief Ron Lindroth. All right, Chief Lindroth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, it's Again, we already discussed this. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to me. There you go. Chief's getting ready to have lunch. I already had lunch, so we're good to go. You're in Belgrade, Montana, correct? Yes, sir. Um, beautiful southwest Montana that is minus 14 degrees and snowing outside today. If you looked outside, there would be snow outside my house, too, so I, I feel you there. But I don't have the scenery that you have, for sure. There you go. So you're with the Central Valley Fire District. I am with Central Valley Fire District. We're... In Belgrade, Montana, which is north of Yellowstone Park, about 60 miles. Very nice. All right. So the reason I have you on the show is because I actually ran across an article in Firehouse uh, called The Station Design, a Detached Decontamination Building Examined. And that was all about your award-winning building that you came up with. There you go. Um, several years ago, we had the opportunity to look at building a new main fire station. And uh, in the process, we decided it's really important for us to look at how this building is going to be built, what are the features of it that are important for us, and take a hard look, really, because this building is going to be here for the next 80 to 100 years. And we didn't want to just do your standard, this is what a fire station always does. We wanted to be smart about what we were going to do with the investment of $8 million of our taxpayers' dollars. So we set out the priorities of this first and foremost has to be located and designed for quick response for the firefighters to reach out to the community. It needs to be a facility that can really help firefighter health and safety. And I think that's where the decon facility comes in. And then lastly, we wanted to make sure that it was appealing and almost iconic to the community as far as a building they could be proud of in the way it looks. So I think today's discussion is gonna be focusing on the health and safety aspects. Absolutely. So let's kind of dive into where did you first get the idea to, when you were doing this building, cause you're, you're building a brand new station, but you decide, I don't want to do this decon as part of the actual building, the main frame of that. I want to do a separate building. Where, where did that come from? The original idea came from Australia. Uh, I had been down there probably 15 years ago working on some wildland urban interface ideas of how Australian fire service looked at things and found out about an idea they had down there to where they actually did all of their decon of their equipment apparatus and the equipment the apparatus actually carries outside of their facility before they brought it in. I always thought that was a neat idea. Being in Montana, we can't do it outside year round. In fact, six months we are in wintertime up here. So I uh, thought, well, instead of having the traditional Bay approach to where 
everything's cleaned in the bay, but all the contaminants ultimately build up over time in the bay and then migrate into the living quarters and ad, admin offices of the fire station, it would be better to just have a separate standalone building. And so that's where the idea got its genesis. Perfect. Now, one of the, uh, and this kind of talks about in the article, uh, one of the nice things about doing a, a building like this, a separate facility is uh, it was about half the cost of your, the rest of your fire station as far as for square footage, because you didn't have to do have the whole brick facade and all the other things that go into, you know, a, a typical fire station. It could have been, be more of kind of just, I don't want to say a barn or, or shelter, but uh, it was much simple, much more simplified, correct? That is correct. It's really just a service building. So instead of having brick siding, it just has steel siding. It does not require the earthquake seismic protection that a critical infrastructure building does in our particular area. It doesn't require a sprinkler system because it's just a brick block building that doesn't have anything in, inside for storage other than very minimal items. So quite a lot of different things led to the fact that it really was a standalone utility building that could be constructed substantially cheaper than the main fire station. Very nice. So after a fire, you're, when it's time for your crews to, to decon themselves, actually, let's go, let's back up. At the fire scene, uh, your firefighters are actually doing their, their gross decon or preliminary exposure reduction, whatever you want to call it, on the scene. And then That's correct. And they're, they're actually bagging their equipment and they're, they're bringing that back to this facility, which is, which is basically at your, your headquarters station, right? That is correct. So how the process works is, is that the firefighters do gross decon at the fire scene. They'll bag their PPE, um, after getting all the equipment rolled up, let's say the hoses are rolled up dirty, the tools, the SCBA, all of those items come back to the station either in the back of a pickup truck or in the back of a service truck that has a compartment separate from the cab. We do try to implement a clean cab policy, so nerdy, no dirty things come back in that way. Um, from there, we get back to the decon building and that's available as a standalone then for any of our one of seven stations to be able to come back to. And when they come back, they just start cleaning the equipment, roll out the hoses, wash them, wash down the trucks, wash the SCBA in a separate area that just has racks in the floor and drains underneath those racks. So everything's gonna be cleaned out that way. Once the truck has been totally cleaned and reserviced or put back into service, then the firefighters can start washing their PPE. They have a second set of PPE that they utilize to be able to wear while their primary set is being washed and dried. We do have a dryer set up to where after the equipment has gone through or the PPE has gone through the extractor, it can be hung on a rack that has forced air going through it and it's dried within two hours. So we have a quick turnaround on the PPE. Additionally, we have washers and dryers for uniforms that are separate from the extractor. And so they toss their uniform into there and then head into one of two steam showers to be able to decon their body. The hour shower within an hour concept is what we're shooting for. And so they get all cleaned up. The steam shower helps open up their pores 
off gas any potential cabinet or contaminants that have been in their skin. And then they just grab a pair of sweats that are in a locker there in the shower room and take that back to the station and get back into service with a clean uniform and their second set of bunker gear and a clean truck. Wow, there's so much to unpack there, Chief. That is that is an absolutely great concept. Um, I love how, I mean, you're making a priority to get the apparatus in service, but you haven't forgotten that you got to get the firefighter back in service as well. So being able to to have that shower, not just a typical shower, but you have a steam shower set up, um, you know, to be able to just change clothes there. And as, as soon as you get back to the station, then it's a matter of putting on a new uniform, the second set of gear, and they're ready to press that in-service button. So that's that's huge. And that is often neglected. And the fact that you have this set up, you have this, I imagine, as a policy. Uh, a lot of places, unfortunately, they don't have that. And it's a lot of times up to the company officer, whether they're going to press in-service or not, you know, whether they actually get a chance to shower and decon themselves or not. So I, I applaud you there uh, tremendously. Thank you. It, it has worked for us. Um, it Having multiple companies at Central Valley Fire District does help us do that. So we can make sure that we still provide the service that we need to to the community. But just the added 15, 20 minutes of being out of service to be able to uh, safely take care of our firefighters, it, it's worth every minute of that. Sure. Now, uh, with the current times, I, I know that when you built this, it, you weren't really thinking this, but I imagine this has also been very helpful regarding COVID. It really has. Um, I did not anticipate a pandemic when we were designing this facility. I don't know <laughs> if anybody sure did. Any of us did. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. But the amazing thing is, is that this has really helped us out there as well. So when our ambulance goes back into service from the hospital, they do, again, some basic decon in the salad port at the hospital, but they come back here, they're able to use a chlorine dioxide fogger to decontaminate the inside of the ambulance box. Um, again, they take off their jumpsuits that we're wearing for their PPE. Those go into the extractor, do a quick wash cycle. And if they need to take a shower quick right there, um, everything's taken care of for that. But as I said earlier, we're keeping all the potential contaminants out of the main fire station. And we've been lucky enough so far this year, and even right when this whole thing started last year, we have yet to contract a on-duty COVID case. Uh, some of our firefighters have gotten COVID off-duty, but by the use of good PPE protocols and keeping everything clean, uh, we have not had any on-duty COVIDs. That's that's absolutely great. I know I can't say the same for our thing uh, in our department, but that's so I applaud you for that as well. Uh, I know that it's probably a little bit difficult um, to estimate the cost of this uh, because you, you, you know, it wasn't a standalone project. It was part of, you know, a new fire station as well that went along with this, but best guess, just so our listeners out there, if they were trying to figure out how much something like this would cost to put an operation for themselves, how much do you think this cost kind of ballpark-ish? You know, the best way would be is, as you mentioned, local pricing is extremely variable across the United States right now. Building materials, cost of labor, and so on like that. 
I would suggest the best thing to do is, is that the facility we have is roughly 2,000 square feet. It's made out of a combination of cinder block, framing, metal siding, traditional asphalt shingled roof. Um, it has two steam showers in it. It has pressure washer that is driven by a hot sea. Um, so on like that. It's roughly a 2,000 square foot standalone building. So if you could locally just reach out to somebody and say, what would it cost me to put in a 2,000 square foot utility building with a concrete floor? Um, that's probably the best way to start with that. Perfect, perfect. I also love how, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you got this idea the first time you saw this was in Australia. And I think when we talked beforehand, the first time I ever saw a concept kind of similar to this, it was still connected to the fire station, but it was a separate bay altogether. I had to go all the way to Sweden. So we, we put some miles in to find something like this, you know? Um, so, but as far as I know, you're the first one in North America to have this type of concept and really put in that time and effort, uh, you know, to make sure your firefighters are, truly cleaned and, and ultimately reducing that risk. You know, we have had the opportunity to travel great distances to be able to see how others are doing things in the fire service. I'll always remember sitting in Sydney Harbor with the fire chief of New South Wales. And um, I was very surprised at that point in time as a captain. And I asked him, why is it that you are spending as much time supporting me learning what you're doing. It just kind of shocked me that a captain from the United States would be able to be speaking with somebody, I guess the equivalent of the fire chief of the state of California, if there was such a thing. And he goes, well, I had the opportunity to go to the United States for the EFO program and everybody was very kind. And you are the first person from the United States who have come to learn what we do. And I always have kept that in mind of, there are people across the whole world that have fabulous ideas. Just because they're different than how we do things doesn't negate their validity. And so like your trips to Sweden, mine to Australia, I think it's very important for us to have an open mind and look at ways to do something a little differently that could actually benefit us. And, and with that open mind and truly critical thinking in evaluating what the problem is, we can solve a whole lot of the problems that we just routinely keep having reoccur because we're not opening our minds up to new ways of doing things. So just encourage you to take a serious look at firefighter health and safety and not just bemoan the fact by the statistics that we see on an annual basis coming out, but actually do something about it where we can. And this was a very simple step to do so. No, that's great. Uh, another question I thought of, uh, how are the firefighters, how, how did they take to all this? I mean, it's a pretty brand new concept, uh, not just for them, I imagine, but really all around to, to get that into the woods and into the, into the details of, of really doing everything they possibly can to make sure that those contaminants don't go into the, the living quarters or back home with them. You know, I have a relatively young department. We've only been a career fire department for about eight years. So we don't have a lot of steeped in traditions. And so it has been an easy concept to sell. 
And I have some very smart guys here. And all we have to do is line out some facts and figures of firefighter cancer. Um, many of them actually know people in the fire service who have struggled with this. And it, it's not a big step to be able to get them to own this. So when they come back, um, there is absolutely nothing of potential dirty that goes into the living quarters or the offices of the fire station. They have Crocs out in the bay and their work boots stay in the bay and they switch over to Crocs coming into the living quarters. Um, they get on anybody who's starting to wander into the station with bunker gear on. Uh, I just had work boots coming back from a wildland fire one time and, and I got called on it because I spaced it out. And I, I absolutely love that all of us are accountable to that high standard, whether you're the chief or the probie firefighter. No, that's great. And that's truly spectacular. I'm, I'm so glad to have you on the show and just share this concept. Um, but I do want to throw a curveball at you now. Uh -oh. I've, I've got what's called, you know, we've, we've all, we've, this whole show so far, it's all been business and I want to do a little bit of fun stuff, a little personal stuff. So what I have, right. I have a list of 25 questions. I call it the 25. Okay. And I toss it up to you. And I ask you to pick a number one through 25 and I'll ask you, one of these random questions and I'll get you out of here. Cause I know you got to, well, you got to get ready for lunch. Well, how about I do number seven? That's a really good number. All right. So what is something popular now, but everyone will look back at it from five years from now and think it's dumb or embarrassing. Are we talking as it relates just to the fire service? No, no, this is now, this is, this is, you're not chief anymore. You're Ron. Ah, okay. Well, let me think. What is something we're all doing right now that five years from now we'll all kind of be wondering? I got to say, um, oh, man, I better not go political on this one. Let me back up here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that things are moving so rapidly and we just assume some things are just fine. I don't know if we'll get it in five years or not. But I have this little machine right here held in my hand that's a computer. It talks on the phone. It tells me where I'm at and how to get to where I need to go to. And it's like our whole lives are revolved around this little machine. And I hope in five years that we start putting this machine away and we start using our brains. Because right now, I don't need to remember anything other than how to push a couple buttons to tell me the answer. And I really think America's critical thinking skills are going away and our memories are going away because we have such easy access to this machine that tells me when to get up, when to eat, what to eat, when to go to bed, how to find my way somewhere instead of knowing how to read a map. But all of those things are telling me how and my brain is atrophying and the ability to be able to do it on our own. And so the old saying of, well, this will be a crazy story. It's the story of the scabbard. And if we look back in time, originally we had scabbards for real men to carry swords. And then we did away with those because Colt 45 came out and we had a scabbard that made all men equal. And then scabbards kind of just went to a small hunting knife because we had a much more civilized society that didn't need to carry around a Colt 45. 
And then I guess a hunting knife, the old traditional where you had the blade in your back pocket in the scabbard, you're too young for remembering that. But we switched over to a buck knife that was a folded in and it looked more inconspicuous, but men still carried a buck knife. But then we went to the multi-tool that literally had a totally worthless blade on it, but could do a whole bunch of stuff, not very well. Then we go to the cell phone and we have our little scabbards for our cell phone so that real men who used to be able to do everything with the tools, now real men call or somebody can just call a real man that can solve the problem on their cell phone because they don't have the ability to do that themselves. So I guess uh, your fun little question, put away the cell phone, learn the skill sets with your head, your brain and your hands to do it yourself and don't rely on somebody else to do it for you. That's a great answer. I didn't expect that. I love that. You know, awesome. you, make me, you make me think I had the conversation the other day at the firehouse about when I was young, not younger, you know, probably early twenties before all this technology actually using a map to drive around. And I was doing the little, the baseball stadium tour, the Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, New York, Hall of Fame, all that stuff. And I did that. I did that all with a map. Mm -hmm. And and I don't I don't know if I could do that again. I I'd be I'm sure I could figure it out, but it's I haven't had to. I I use my phone. Well, you know, it's up here. It's kind of funny. I still carry something called the Gazetteer, which is a large book like an atlas that has detailed maps of different portions of the state and we operate in my home life with gazetteers in the truck and we have them in my command vehicle as well and it's been so funny in recent years going out on a wildland fire where the cell phone doesn't have any coverage and the guys are trying to figure out well geez where's this at how do you get there and i pull out a map book and said hey guys this is called a map and this is how you orient it. And this is how you read where it's at because we're losing those skill sets. And again, technology is wonderful. It does some really great things for us. Don't get me wrong there. The important thing is, is we cannot lose the basic skills and the ability to critically think in our memories of what to do by relying on this machine. Very nicely said. All right, now I fear for the next question because it's not gonna live up to that. But <laughs> throw, throw out a number. Another one. Oh, I got another one? Yeah, we'll do we'll do a few of these and I'll get you out of here. Okay. Uh let's just go with twelve. All right, here's your choice. Uh this this I think will be easier. Zoo or amusement park? Zoo. Okay. Particular zoo? Oh. Wow. I would love to just go and see. Kenya National Park just to see all the wildlife there. Is that really a zoo or is that just a big wildlife preserve? Um, my preference would be is the big natural open space type of thing that um, kind of like a safari. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that'd be neat. I had, we kind of had in Ohio we have, you know, we have Jack Hanna. So he's in okay. Columbus. So okay. about two and a half hours from me, they have what's called the wilds and it has a lot of different uh, animals and it's kind of in a safari setting and you're able to drive through. So about the closest thing that you can get probably 
unless you actually went over there. So there you go. Yeah, we um, we're pretty lucky. I have a 12 year old daughter and we go down to Yellowstone on Mother's Day on a routine basis with my wife and daughter just to look at the animals. And, you know, we've we've been very blessed and spoiled because she kind of goes, oh, yeah, there's a grizzly bear shrugs her shoulders. Yeah, there's some wolves. Yeah, shrugs her shoulders. <laughs> you know, there's about a thousand bison or 500 elk or things like that. Um, so we don't do zoos much. We just go out and see it in real life. And uh, that has just been one of the most uh, amazing and astounding opportunities for living where we do. You said it's 60 miles away, right? Yes, sir. That's, that's perfect. That's really cool. All right, let's do one more and I'll get you out of here. All righty. What do you got? No, go ahead. No, Tell me. Oh, number-wise? Yeah. Oh, let's see. All right. Um... Let's just go with number one. What do you got on the top of your list, sir? Your very first job. My very first job. My very first job was working in a nursing home, um, washing dishes. And that started when I turned 16. My parents said, it's time for you to get a job the day after my 16th birthday and went down and Signed up and minimum wage back then, I think was $1.65 an hour. And that's what I got for washing dishes. And I did that ultimately wash dishes, then got on the food line. And then ultimately by the end of high school was serving in the cafeteria of the uh, nursing home, people's food. And I guess the memory that I have of that is, is a good friend and I worked together and we made it a habit of after the food was served, dessert was served and so on, we would each grab a cup of coffee and stand at the door and look for a nursing home resident who wanted to just visit. And, and it got to be a habit where all eyes would look up at us and go, wow, I wonder who's going to come and sit with me today. And it taught me so much wisdom that came out of the elderly population how everyone had a story to share, wisdom to share, and just needed some love and companionship, just even if it was just for 10 or 15 minutes after serving. And that really provided the foundation for my fire service career that came afterwards. Um, I love elderly people and, and just respect everything that they have done to pave the way for us now by going before us. So there's your answer to number one. Yes, that's great. That's a great answer. Uh, let me back up first and go. Uh, you, so you had your 16th birthday, all is well. And then the next day, your parents are like, all right, get a job. Time for a job. Yep. You got to go and have to pay for no, your college. So no you no warning. No warning or anything. It was <laughs> a very, hey, you had a good birthday, but that's over. Now get to work. Yeah, I was working before I had my driver's license. I used to ride my bicycle. So that's great. And then for what you're saying, I, I've never worked in a nursing home, but I've certainly been to a bunch of them over the years for work. And it's amazing uh, just to see the, you know, the stuff on their walls. Uh, and, oh, and then, yeah. you know, this, you know, like, uh, especially like all the, the veterans and all their awards and um, just the pictures and just asking them about that. If it's not something critical. Oh my God. Yeah. The stories you get. It's, uh, it's Absolutely. amazing. 
It, it really is. And uh, if that's not part of your life right now, if you're in the fire service, make it part of your life. Um, the people we serve, if you get to know them as people versus patients, are just wonderful, wonderful human beings and take the time to hear their story. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll get you out of here now. Once again, Chief Ron Lindroth, the Central Valley Fire District in Belgrade, Montana. The article, and I'll put this in the notes, is uh, from Firehouse Magazine, the station design, a detached decontamination building examined. So again, thank you so much for being on the show and, and for just putting this out there. I mean, you could have kept this to yourself, but you wanted to share it with, with everybody else. There you go. You know, learning something and doing something works for us doesn't do anybody else any good if we don't share it. So it's, it's uh, just like that. Sharing it. It's just like that, uh, you know, the conversation you shared about uh, being in Australia. Absolutely. You know, now, now it's your turn to pay it forward. I mean, it's this, this circle. Absolutely. And I'm happy to do so. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to get this out, hopefully to a large audience. And um, CVFD will be happy to be available here, me in particular, to answer any questions if anybody has any interest in following up. There you go. Do you want to put out your email to everybody? Um, it'd be rlindroth at centralvalleyfiredistrict.com. Like we're actually centralvalleyfire.com. I'm sorry. So uh, a real quick Google search of Central Valley Fire District in Montana will get us contacted too. I, I tracked them down, so you should be able to as well. There you go. All right. Well, well, thank you again. And uh, all my listeners, I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.